You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for this teaching series on Leviticus, A Call to Priesthood. All right, Real Life, not a, enough of that. How are we doing? Great. Great. I am Paul. I'm the Moscow Student Ministries coach here at Real Life. Glad to be with you. We have a lot to talk about and not enough time, so can we just jump right into it? Yeah, thank you. If you said no, it would be weird. Uh, We have one more week after this in Leviticus. How is Leviticus sitting with you now, by the way? Yeah? It's weird, obscure, boring book. Like, uh, some of the lessons, like, and we're, we're just barely scraping the top of it. This week, we are going to look at uh, a part of Leviticus, and the way the sermon sets with you, I'm going to be honest, it, it could fall one of two ways. Um, for some of us who've grown up in a very conservative background uh, when it comes to church and what we've been taught, uh, this is going to be a stretch. This is, this is going to not sit well with you. Um, that's Okay. For some of you, we're going to talk about something and you're going to get all excited. You're like, yeah, slow down. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk more about it. Because this week we're talking about the party, how God's people should party. Yeah, slow down. <laughs> See, slow down. Uh, and I just want to preface this, like what we, what we are not saying this week is that you should be doing cake stands at Mingles every night of the week. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. I just want to say that, get that out really quickly. However, there is a theology of festivity that God's people should have. And that's what we're going to look at this week in Leviticus. So let's just jump right into it. Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts. This word appointed is going to be important here in a minute. Of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time, of, at the time appointed for them. Now, the word appointed shows up so much here. And what we have in this, these four verses is a mini chiasm. It starts talking about the appointed feasts. In the middle is Sabbath. And then it ends with appointed feasts. So the whole point, by the way, of these appointed feasts, feasts, <laughs> of these appointed feasts is going to be connected to Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath is going to be central to it all. Now, so keep that in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that in a bit. The word appointed is moad. Say moad. Moad is a word that means a appointed time, appointed season, appointed day. Uh, it's something that is appointed. It's a, a normal, fixed time frame. Now, what's interesting is that this word is the same word for tent of meeting. It's, it's a name given to the tabernacle. It's the tent of Moad. And what we're going to find then is that as we wrestle through these festivities, all of these take place in the presence of the tent of meeting. That it's not just us gathering together at a festival, it's us gathering together with our God. Now this word mawad also shows up, by the way, in Genesis on day four, when God sets the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky to, to tell us when the appointed seasons are. So as we work through these festivals, we're going to find that they take place during the calendar, and they're going to be spread apart, and that every season there is something God is calling us to gather together and have a festival over. 
And so and before we get into these, we just need, we need to be clear. God likes to party. He loves celebrations. And as proof of this, you can, you can look at Jesus. Look at Luke 15, where Jesus rapid fires three parables, talking about the nature of our God, how God is like the, the woman who loses a coin and she tears apart the house. And when she finally finds the coin, she throws a party to celebrate. She probably spends more money on the party than she found in the coin. Like that's ridiculous. God is the type of God in the very next parable who when, there's, when he has 99 sheep but one's missing, he goes and he searches for this one sheep. And when he finds the one sheep, he, has, he tells all of his friends, let's get together and have a party. That's weird. God is, like the, God is like the father who has a son who squanders everything he has and ruins his name. But as soon as that boy starts coming back, There is no lecture, there is no guilt, there is no shame. Instead, there's a party. But this parable is different because there is an older brother who will not come into the party. Like, Jesus is one who teaches us that our God throws festivals over the smallest of celebrations. When a life is turned around, there is a feast. And it's it's ridiculous. It's almost, it's like it doesn't make sense Like what we would consider not a big deal, God considers a very, very big deal. So God is a God who loves the celebration. However, as we look at these festivals, we also find that these festivals, they are a discipline. Like I love when you read through these, we don't have time to read through them all, but God says you will do this and you will like it. You will party and you will have fun. Um, Which... You extroverts are like, okay, duh. You introverts, you introverts know what I'm talking about though. Like God's saying that you will get together with other people and you will, you will enjoy it. And you're like, really? Like I'd rather be in my PJs at home, drinking warm tea, watching Netflix. Like that, that I, yeah. This is a discipline. It's something we have to do. There will be seasons in our life, even if you're an extrovert, where you don't want to get together, where you don't want to celebrate, where you don't want to remember, but you need to. And they're gonna, all, the, uh, similarly, it's also a discipline where we might want to go too far. We might want to do it too often. We might, we might want to do too much. And God says, no, because these are holy. These are unique and set apart and special. You will not make these common this is not common. This is supposed to be unique and guarded and protected. All right, with me so far? All right, what we're going to do is we're going to, instead of reading all of the festivals, we're just going to give you the quick breakdown. And what we're going to look at is what does God call us to remember? What are these festivals that God sets up, that God sets apart for his people? And what are their purposes? What are they teaching us? What are they gathering us together for? So here we go. First one we see is the Sabbath. And we'll talk more about this because the Sabbath is weird. But for the most part, when we're introduced to the Sabbath right in the beginning, we're told that we, show, we will not work, we will rest. All right? Second festival is Passover. Passover reminds us about our redemption as God's people. We were once slaves in Egypt, and now we are redeemed and set free. By the way, every Passover is going to remind you that you were once an immigrant, that you were once a slave, you were once on the outside, you were once oppressed, and now you are no longer. Um, next one. We have the Feast of First Fruits. This is the beginning of harvest. We are going to celebrate God's provision, that God will provide for his people. Next one. 
We have the week, uh, uh, the festival of weeks, Shavuot. Once again, end of harvest, we are celebrating God's provision. Also though, we are celebrating the giving of the law. Uh, the, the, we are commemorating our union with God, our marriage feast with God, where we partnered with him. Next one, we have the festival of trumpets. This is the new year. And at the new year, we are gonna look back and we are gonna remember all the good things that happened. We are gonna celebrate the last year, but we're also gonna look at the next year. And we are gonna wait in joyful anticipation for what God has in store this year. Next festival, we have the day of atonement. By the way, by the way, one day. You have one day you're gonna remember your sin. You have one day that you are going to feel your brokenness and your mistakes. One day. FYI, uh, the Passover is one day, but then it goes into a seven-day festival. That the next festival is seven days long. Like, I think, we, I think we get it confused in our church culture sometimes. We want to spend the majority of our time talking about our sin and maybe like a little bit talking about redemption. Um, one day, and even this day, you don't end there. You end celebrating God's redemption of his people, how he bears our sins and our mistakes. He bears it. He takes care of it, and he does away with it. And we are free. And then the last festival is the Festival of Booths or Sukkot. And this is, uh, this is remembering how God led us through the wilderness, how we lived in tents. And by the way, in these festivals, God will remind you, you are, you are immigrants. You are aliens. These festivals remind us, by the way, what it's like to be an immigrant, what it's like to be an exile, what it's like to be out in the wilderness and have no home. It, it, reminds, us what it, it reminds us of that. And then, and then we celebrate our good God and what he has done for us and how he has redeemed our story. Now, as you go through these, you're gonna realize that this costs money. Like we have, like we have a week-long festival. This isn't like a three-hour party one Friday night. This is week, weeks long. Like that's a lot of food. Like I don't know if you've ever been to a church potluck, this, a church potluck that lasts seven days. A lot of food, that has to come from somewhere. Like who's paying for that? You are. There is a separate tithe just for these. You will set apart, if, if you're God's people, a separate 10% just for this. Like it's not just you give 10% to, the, to uh, the Levites and to the operation of the temple and all that. You actually have a whole nother 10% that you take and you, you save just for the festival. That's crazy. That's crazy. And for some of us, like that, man, that's a lot. Like that's a, that's a huge chunk of change right there. Why do we do that? What you'll find when you go to Deuteronomy 14 and it's talking about these, it's giving you more instructions. One of the things it's gonna tell you, the reason you're gonna do this is because there are other people who don't have anything. There are other people who are poor, who you know, 10% of nothing is nothing but they still have a seat at the table. And so when we gather in these festivals, in these parties, as God's people, we are providing for those who don't have. Like just because they can't come to the party, just because they have nothing to bring to the party doesn't mean they don't belong. It's precisely because of that that they do belong. It's at God's festivals where we gather as a people all of us, and we look for those who are in need and we gather with them. You read in Deuteronomy 14 how we are to, from the tithe that we bring for these festivals, we are to sit with the sojourner, 
sit with the widow, sit with the orphan, and that they may eat in the presence of God and have their fill. At God's feasts, everyone is welcome. There's a spot for everyone and there will always be enough. This is what these feasts are teaching us, that we look for opportunities to sit with people who don't have a place to sit. We open up a spot at the table just to make sure someone, there's always room, always room. And by the way, like one of the valuable lessons about this is about these feasts is that you are going to sit across from the table of someone who's homeless, possibly. It's easy to criticize someone for their poor mistakes and their poor financial decisions. It's easy to know that they're homeless. It's different to sit across from the table of a guy named Tom and hear his story and to see his calloused hands and his sudden weathered face and to realize that he, he is a person and he is hungry and he is cold at night and he has no bed. That's different. It, it is easy to criticize those who voted one particular way. It's different to sit across the table from them and share a meal and to hear their, to hear their passions and their concerns, to hear their struggle, what they're worried about, what they're feeling inside. That's, that's different. It's one thing to have a fight with someone and just never resolve it. It's a different thing when you have to sit across the table from them. That's different. These feasts are going to call God's people together to live in harmony with all. Like you, you will sit across the table from someone that you may not want to. It's going to be awkward. If you're a Hillary supporter, you might have to sit across the table from someone wearing a Make, it, Make America Great Again hat. And you have to be in peace with them or vice versa. Like you will, it's, it's gonna be awkward and weird. So anyway, so we, a little off track. You are gonna bring, te- you're gonna set aside 10% of all that you have and come together. That way we as the people of God can celebrate and remember. And that we are gonna make sure we have room at the table for anyone. Like everyone, everyone, everyone belongs here. Everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter how much you have or who you are, we all sit at the same table. Like, because ultimately there is something that matters more than the way you voted. There's something that matters more than the color of your skin or your gender or what political views you have. Or there's something more than that. It's the fact that you are in the image of God and we belong together because God loves us both. And Deuteronomy t- teaches us that these festivals aren't just for, they're not just for fun. They're to restore and to redeem. Now, what's interesting about these, if we start with Sabbath, one day of the week, and so 52 times a year, you're you're celebrating the Sabbath. The rest of these are one time a year. What happens after this, as you go from from Leviticus 23 into 24 into 25, you're going to find God talking more about the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about in the past how the Leviticus is chiastic. There's seven sections. And we are at the last section of Leviticus, the seventh section. We're just getting into that. Now, if you know, if you're a Jew and you know that there's seven sections of Leviticus, and then in the seventh section, there's this huge discussion about Sabbath. 21 times the word Sabbath is used over and over and over and over again. And it's talking about the year. Like, what are you thinking of? Sabbath, seven. You're thinking Genesis 1 and the days of creation. By the way, uh, our footnotes podcast almost solely wrestles with this. It's you should well worth listening to. 
But what we find is that uh, Leviticus sets up Sabbath here in such a way that it's going to be the thread that runs through all of these. Like it, it shows, it's mentioned in almost every single festival, Sabbath, 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 and Sabbath, and then more Sabbath, and a little bit more Sabbath. Like it's everywhere. So Sabbath is somehow important to all of this. Our first introduction to Sabbath, we read, we read back in uh, verses one through four, Sabbath of the week is a day of rest. It is a, it is a time that we stop producing. It's not just a day off, by the way. It's a time that we, we cease producing and gathering. Like we, we stop it, which is a valuable lesson in our consumeristic society. We stop, we cease. We don't have to work. We are not our career. We are not how much we have in our bank account. We stop and we cease and we rest. However, this isn't the end of Sabbath. Sabbath keeps going. What we find is as you continue on, there's this second Sabbath. It's the Sabbath year. One year out of every seven, there's a Sabbath year. The Sabbath year, you don't plant in your field. You don't harvest. You don't take your combine out and gather. You don't do that. You just let, you leave the land alone. And for your food for that entire year as a family, you have to go and collect and bring back. What this does, by the way, is it teaches us what it means to be poor. It teaches us what it's like to be the people that have to come into our fields and glean the leftovers. We, for a whole year out of every seven, have to live like they do. And this also is taught, also on this year, by the way, you also are called to forgive the debts of anyone that has debt. On this year, not just Jubilee, which we're getting to, but on every Sabbath year. On every Sabbath year, you, you clean. It doesn't matter if you owe me money. It doesn't matter. We're good. We're good. Every seven years. Now, we're going to talk about Jubilee here in a minute, but imagine if our economy worked that way. What would happen to the stock market? Like it would, People would be jumping out of buildings again. It would be crazy. It would be crazy. This is why the Sabbath was such a unique principle. Because if people really lived this way, it would be weird. It would be holy. It would tell a different story. What we find about the Sabbath, if you go back to Deuteronomy, if you go where are we? Forward to Deuteronomy. If you go forward to Deuteronomy, in the instructions about this Sabbath year, we read this in Deuteronomy 15. But there will be no poor among you. How are we doing about that? For the Lord will bless, this is all in discussion of the Sabbath, by the way, the Sabbath year. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Why will he bless you? So there won't be any poor. And we talk about America being a blessed nation, and I don't disagree with it. But we got a job to do. All right. Uh, the, the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. All right. Starts off with this statement, like, there will be no poor among you. Then he, then he goes on to say, and then he talks about how you will uh, forgive people's debt. All right. And then he's saying, however, by the way, in this instruction about Sabbath year, don't forget this. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any one of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. If anyone in your land, anyone in your nation is poor, you will take care of them. And if you don't, you have hardened your heart and shut them out. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. By the way, the party teaches us to have open hands, to be generous. It postures us in a different way when we celebrate and we remember because it puts things in perspective. 
And then we see people's needs. And we remember we were once there. So he says, listen, if you see your brother in need, it doesn't matter where they are at the land, you will do something. You will help them. Whatever it, and you will, loan, you will lend to them. Like this will be a loan, which means you allow them the privilege to pay you back. If they want to work and they want to get back on, back, back on their feet and they get to a point that they can pay you back, you will let them. You will allow them. However, you shall not uh, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look begrudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. If you see the seventh year coming and you don't want to lend money to someone because you know they don't have to pay you back, you, you've, met, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the entire idea. Like just... Don't abuse this. The Sabbath year is meant to restore the poor, to restore those who are going through rough times, who are buried underneath their burdens. The Sabbath year teaches us, not to, it reminds us what it means to be poor, but it also reminds us to forgive the debts of others. You shall give freely, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in your land. Go back. There's an occasion that happens in three of the gospels where Jesus is at a, he's at a festival, he's at a meal. And a woman comes up and she bought this expensive vial of perfume and she anoints his feet and the people around Jesus say, they start criticizing her. And one of the things they say is she could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And Jesus says, you'll always have the poor among you. For many of us, we assume this was like a kind of cold, crass saying, or like we, maybe sometimes we use that, like, oh, we'll always have poor. Like, it's okay. Like, it's just normal. Remember that Jesus is quoting this passage right here, this one. In fact, I think it's Mark um, that records Jesus going one step further and saying, the reason you have the poor among you is because you haven't done anything about it. You haven't been living out the Sabbath year, which is brilliant because he's talking to people who value the Sabbath over people. The Sabbath is made for men, God will say, Jesus will say. All right, next one. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. The, the Sabbath year teaches us to not just forgive debt, not just to take a break, but it, it teaches us to take care of those around us. Now this builds on itself. Like we go from the Sabbath day of the week to the Sabbath year, and now we go to the, the, week of, the year of Jubilee found in Leviticus 25. And we have to do some reading. We're not gonna read everything about the Jubilee, but say with me. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. I know that's really confusing. It just wants to highlight the importance of seven. Um, but every 49 years, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. On the day of atonement, you're going to sound this trumpet every 50 years and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. 
it's gonna be a jubilee. Have you got that yet? In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows or itself, uh, what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. Got it yet? It shall be holy to you. You may not, you may eat the produce of the field. So you can't gather, you can't take your combines out into the field. You can't do that. You gather what you need. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you, if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. Uh, if the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. Bear with me. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord, you, your God. Therefore, therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you shall eat your fill and dwell securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Then the land shall not be sold, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. This is where we're trying to get to. On the Jubilee year, what happens is we see, we see that uh, if you bought land from someone, you have to give it back on the Jubilee year. What we find on the Jubilee year is that there's this building of Sabbath. On the Sabbath year, you do everything you do on the Sabbath day, but you do more. On the Jubilee, you do everything that you did in the Sabbath year and on the Sabbath day of the week, but now you're doing more. Every 50 years, you, rest- you return people's property back to its original owner. You forgive people's debts. Once again, what, what would happen if our society did this? For you, and notice the, notice the explanation. Why are you doing this? You are strangers and sojourners with me. This, this isn't, there's a lesson God is teaching his people, that this new, this new group of people that are about to become a nation, you are not defined by your geographic borders. That is not who you are. You are sojourners with me. You are immigrants with me. So the reason you, the reason you practice jubilee and you, get, you forgive people's debts and you give back their land and you give back their stuff is not just so we can restore people, but it's because you yourselves are strangers and aliens. Remember your festivals. Remember what I'm teaching you, how God has redeemed you. You were once an alien. You were once an orphan. You were once a widow. And God redeems you. Redeem the people in your midst then. The Jubilee does several things. One of the things it does is it allows for people who have been burdened with debt, just bad things have happened. It allows them a new start. It allows a generation, a genealogy of people, a fresh beginning. Like, listen, I get that sometimes people make financial, really bad decisions. I get that. We work with people that that's happened. By the way, I've made some pretty dumb mistakes financially. Like, I get that. However, there are some times where a single mom has a child with a heart defect and he could die any day and she will do whatever it takes to get him whatever medical attention he needs, even if it means that she's going to be wrought with medical debt. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes just things 
things just go bad. The Jubilee allows people like that, whole lines of families, a fresh beginning. It also prevents the people, and we know this happens, let's just be honest, there are, there are families and people who amass wealth because they amass wealth, they amass power and influence. Because they amass, amass power and influence, they're able to get more wealth. It, if we practice this, this would set the thing clean every 50 years. Like, Trump would be me, like, or Hillary would be me, like, you get it, right? Like, this would be radical, like you could not be tied to your possessions. You can, like you, you are not, you, you, your identity is not a millionaire. That is not who you are. And also, by the way, your identity is not poor. That's not who you are. The Jubilee rest reminds us of this. So we see this connection of Sabbath through the festivals. Sabbath is not just about a day off. It's about restoring and recovering. It is about going to those around us and finding needs, finding people who are in broken situations and giving them a new beginning, a new creation. It starts the creation week all over again. This is what Sabbath teaches us. And this is what the festivals teach us. This is what the parties should be when we gather together with each other. Now, we talked about one of the jobs of priests back in Leviticus 10. Uh, let's just read it. Leviticus 10 says, as a priest, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. When it comes to the party, our party should be holy, not like everything else. Like in college students, well, and not just college students, but hear me on this one. The, the party should be holy. It should be different and unique. It should be precious, intentional, deep with meaning and disciplined. Like it should be holy. And we're also to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. By the way, one of the reasons that we're given the unclean laws is that way every one of us will know what it means to be separated from the community. Because at some point in your life, several times in your life, you will be unclean if you live this way. You will have to tell your friends, sorry, you can't sit in my chair. Sorry, you can't share my food. Sorry, we can't hang out because I'm unclean. The laws themselves remind us what it's like to be broken and what it's like to be separated from community. That way we, that way we can fight for the restoration of those people who are outside. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Our parties should be different. They should be unique and they, should, they have to be. We can't live for the party. We can't live for the weekend. We can't live for the chance to get away from our life and just, and just forget about it all. Our salvation is not found in a bottle. Our salvation is not found in a pill. It is not found for the weekend when work ceases. It is not found in those moments. Those moments rather remind us where life really is at and what it really should be like. It calls us to restore and to redeem the rest of our week and the rest of our year. That's what those moments should do. Now, if you're struggling with this idea that the festival, the party, is meant to restore, that somehow the party is meant to be tied to social justice and the restoration of people, uh, I, I want to show you Ezekiel. Ezekiel will quote Leviticus up and down. Like he quotes Leviticus nonstop. 
And one of the things he will say over and over again is that you, not you necessarily, but God's people have profaned his name among the nations. Profane means to make common. Like God's name isn't special anymore. And so what we find in Ezekiel is God is going to say, if you're going to act like the other nations, I will send you to the other nations. If you're not going to be different and unique, fine. Now, in one of these statements, in Ezekiel 22, we read what, what is going wrong. What is God's people doing wrong? What are they missing? Ezekiel 22. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned, made common my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have disregarded my Sabbaths, not just the days of the week, but the the Sabbath year and the Jubilee. They've disregarded those. By the way, we have no record of Israel ever celebrating a Jubilee. And my, my hunch is because by the time the Jubilee came around, everyone with all the wealth didn't want to. Like, that, I, my life's comfortable, and now I have to get a, give away my land? I don't want to do that. So that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. I get sick of people speaking on putting words in God's mouth. And we do it. We will say that this. We will. We, God gets most ticked off when people put words in his mouth. When we make judgmental declarative statements that this is right. This is what you should do. And we as God's people know, obviously we know this. And God's like, I never said that. And even if I did, I probably didn't say it the way I want you to say it. Like, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy. The, the Sabbaths and the festivals, doesn't matter if you look in Deuteronomy or in Ezekiel or in Leviticus, it's always tied to the poor and the needy. The oppressed, the sojourner, the immigrant, the alien and the orphan and the widow, always and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And notice what God says. I sought for a man, one man among them who would build up the wall. Bad choice of words this week. Um, If you are a Hillary supporter, I apologize if you're convulsing right now. Uh, That's not what that means, but we don't have time to talk about it. Uh, I sought for one man who would build up the wall and, and stand in the breach before me for the land. I looked for one person who would intercede on the people's behalf. I looked for one person that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He'll say a couple of verses later, I, re, I, re, I allowed their ways to be paid towards them. The way they were living, I just let it go. I just, the way they were treating people was the way they were now being treated. It's just the natural outcome of the way they were, what they were doing. Our parties are called, they call us to remember and to come back, to focus about what our story really is about, about who we really are as a people. And we, our nation needs this right now. My heart breaks for this nation right now. 
when half of the country thinks the other half is his enemy. We need to sit down and have meals with some people. We need it. Instead of, stop with the Facebook, please. And I understand some of you are hurt and you're mad and I get it and you probably have some good reasons. I get, stop attacking people, please. And dang it, if you're a Trump supporter, get off your high horse. The nation is hurting. I had dinner with my, uh, my dad and his wife last night. And as, when it comes to the political thing, we are on opposite ends. And I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating. It's, yeah. Man, we had an amazing discussion. And like, he was here during first service. And when he walked away, he's like, I'm really proud of your church. And I was like, thank you. One thing I love about our church, one thing I love about our church is just the different people we have here. Um, a few weeks back, Aaron shared about how someone was complaining. They were a lot of, I think they were in law enforcement. Someone was complaining that they were sitting across the aisle from, one, from a drug dealer in our community. And Aaron's like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know another law enforcement officer, he says one of his favorite things when he comes to church, he'll like to stand in the back and he'll go, I've arrested them and them and them and them and them. And that's awesome. Not that you've been arrested, but like, that's cool. I I love that I can guarantee you right now that there are are Trump and Hillary supporters in this room. We're together. I, I love how different we are. I love the freedom we have to... Listen, I grew up and I worked at several churches. That we had a strict... Like, it wasn't just a matter of, like, you had to be a Christian to be part of us. It wasn't just that. But you had to be this type of Christian. You had to agree with this doctrine and this theology. You had to act this way. You couldn't do this. You had to do this. Like, I, I've been in that. I think a lot of us have been in that as well. That's oppressive. And I love that our church is trying not to be like that. We're bigger. Like, listen, I love doctrine. Like, I, I love to nerd out, and I have opinions, too, and I'm right, by the way. Like, but listen, it, it doesn't matter, ultimately, if you're a young earth six-day creationist or if you're a theistic evolutionist. There's a spot at the table for both of us. It, it doesn't matter if you're a Calvinist or an Arminianist or if you have no idea what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. There's a spot at the table for you. It doesn't matter what you believe about spiritual gifts. We're more than that. It is not these, these particular doctrines that define us. That is not who we are as God's people. We, we as God's people make room for all that we can. Everyone is welcome. We love each other. We serve each other. Yes, we might have some very feminine spitting arguments, but dang it, at the end of the day, we are going to hug and we are going to eat and we are going to fight for each other. That is, how, that is how we are defined. That is who we are. Not some particular doctrinal stance. Like, we have to have these discussions. Like, if we want, if we want to dis- discuss these things, great. Let's do it at the meal. Let's do it at the table. Because that's where they belong. We're not, try- we're not trying to prove who's right and who's wrong and who's, who's better and who's worse. We're going to sit at the table as a family. And that's where we're going to have a discussion. Because that's what matters more. And there's some discussions we need to have. I get it. And there's much more controversial topics. 
than just the ones I mentioned. And we need to have them, but we need to do it at the table. This is what the festivals call us to do as God's people. Before I go too much longer or get in trouble, we're gonna work towards uh, communion. So if you're serving communion, I would ask that you go ahead and head back. We, speaking of festival at Real Life, have an open table. What that means is that you are more than welcome to come to the table with us and partake. If you wanna celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, we would love for you to partake with us. You don't have to, but you are invited. Uh, If you would hold on to the elements until the end, though, that way as one body, as one family, we can take together. And and we're gonna wrestle with some implications. Implication number one, the party is a microcosm of how things should be. The party reminds us what it should look like when we allow those minor misgivings to fall away. The party should remind us that there's a spot for everyone. The party should remind us that, like, listen, we should, our party is not just the way we do them should be different, but the people who are there should be different. Like we should be looking for the people that are missing, whether it's ethnically, gender, political, social, economic, it doesn't matter. We should be looking for the people that are missing and we need to get them in. People should look at us and go, you're weird. You have nothing in common. We're like, I know, right? It's awesome. Like we need their stories. We need their perspectives. We need them. We're missing something. We... Number two, we party to remember not to forget. Um, and like I said, the party could be, like this could be the typical party. It could be, some of us live for the getaway. Like we always need to go on vacation or we always need to go do this or we always need to go have fun. Like that could be your party because you need to get away and you need to forget. And I know, sometimes we need that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But we, ultimately we should remember. We should put back together where our story and where our life is and start over again. We party to look forward, not to distract ourselves. To anticipate what could be done. To dream a little. To get excited about something. To rally together. We party to welcome, not to reject. I bet most of us have been to the party we were not welcome to. And that sucks. I bet some of us have thrown parties that other people were not welcome at. This is not who we are. And it's awkward sometimes. It's weird sometimes. Like some of you are weird. And having a conversation with you is difficult. I'm not that way. You should invite me to all the parties. Um, It's a joke. But you get it, right? Like, this is why we are the people of God. This is why we are holy. Because, third implication. God's party makes room for everyone. And everyone sits at the same table. There is not a Republican and Democrat table. And often a quarter of the Libertarians. Um, (laughs) If you're you're a Gary Johnson fan, I love you. Uh, But that's not how it works. If you're rich and you're poor, you sit at the same table. If you have access to running water or not, you sit at the same table. If you're divorced, you sit at the same table. If you're a child, you sit at the same table. If you're elderly, you sit at the same table. Everyone sits at the same table. Everyone. There's no special seats, no special arrangement, no special order. We come together, we are one family. Last implication. To remember is to focus. 
Next implication. The party calls us to focus. And because of that, the festival is, is a discipline. It's, we're intentional about it. We strive for it. We, we make it have meaning. We protect it. You know, sometimes someone's going to go off a little crazy in our party. It's okay. Come back. Sometimes we're going to have those people who don't want a party. It's okay. Just get in here. Like, just come. You can sit in the corner with your empty cup. Just come be a part of us. It's a discipline. And by the way, this is what this is. Every week we gather to remember, to focus for the next week, to start our week off fresh. By the way, this is what our care group should be. Our care group should be relational environments where our care group should be weird. Like you should, people should show up at our care groups and like, like I was expecting young people or I was expecting old people and they should come and go, man, you guys are a sample pack. That should be the name of our care group ministry. Uh, but that's what it should be like. Like just because someone doesn't belong is exactly why they belong. And speaking of festival, we come to a table every week where we remember a person who was victimized and oppressed, but loved and saved. And we remember his body and his blood that were broken and poured out. We remember the table that we gather around every week. And we remember that his words right after this, his commandment was that we love one another as he loved us. And that's how people would know who we are. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. Whenever we do this, we remember. Let's remember. Then Jesus took the cup, singing, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And when we do this, we don't just remember, we remember the pact we have with God, the arrangement that we're together in on this. Let's remember. Lord, I want to thank you for your audacious love. How prodigal you are about celebrating and remembering and calling your people to be the same way. That we will celebrate even the most menial of victories, that we look for the opportunities to gather together and to remember. Yes, we, we, we remember our brokenness. Yes, we remember our mistakes. But we, but we always end remembering that we are free from our shame and our guilt because of your goodness. And ask that you call us to help reach those people who are also broken. And this has been your story from the beginning. Help us to live this way. May we be a people who gather together throughout the year to remember, to focus, and to always invite others in. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like to find out more information about who we are, what we're about, or what's happening in our church, make sure to check out liferotp.com and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you'd like to dive deeper into this week's conversation, make sure to check out the accompanying footnotes podcast available in this feed.